Good evening. I am Reverend Dr. Pamela Robinson, and I bring you greetings on behalf of my husband, the Reverend Curtis L. Robinson, Sr. We here at the Lotus Flower Podcast are super excited to let you know that it's been almost two years that we have been coming to you with culturally relevant, spiritually uplifting, educational topics. And for that, we are most grateful. We are so grateful to know that we've had an array of guests that have come on from all walks of life and from all over the United States and even into other countries to share with you from the depths of their hearts, their personal stories, and how they were able to overcome some of life's adversities. We are grateful. Here at the Lotus Flower Podcast, our aim is to educate, empower, and equip our listening audience with spiritually relevant, culturally uplifting educational topics. And for that, we have made an impact globally since we have started this podcast. We have impacted over 300,000 households. According to some of our analytics that we recently reviewed, we found that this podcast is being listened to globally. It's been listened to in Kenya. It's been listened to in the UK. It's been listened to in Australia. This podcast has been listened to in Mexico and Hawaii. This podcast has been aired globally, even to the Haitians, where my husband and I did some outreach ministry along with our daughter Carmela some time ago. We are most grateful that our only country here in the United States has actually listened to our podcast on a global scale. We've gone over and we've been able to reach out to people in California, to people in New Orleans. We reached out to people that were in the victims of that Texas mass shooting. We've been able to reach out to people that have suffered and that are challenged with mental illness from all over the country. We have been able to come into your homes from the beautiful state of Arizona. We have been able to come to your homes from right here in Michigan. We have been able to come into your homes, your work, your places of employment, wherever you might find yourself, even from the beautiful state of North Carolina. So we thank and praise God that this podcast has been able to reach out throughout the United States and globally. And for that, once again, we're grateful. We want you to know that this podcast airs on YouTube, as well as other audio platforms, wherever you might find your podcast at. So please be sure to like, comment, and most importantly, subscribe to the Lotus Flower Podcast as we are coming to you weekly. 
with culturally relevant, spiritually uplifting educational topics. I want you to know that July is National Black Mental Health Awareness Month. And it is the case that almost every issue and every topic of challenge in America impacts African-Americans in such a way that it contributes to their mental health wellness in ways that are oftentimes desperate. Mental illness. Mental illness, which is generally characterized by dysregulation of mood, thought, and or behavior as recognized by the American Psychiatric Association, affects one in every five adult Americans. Some 40 million people, can you believe that, are diagnosed with some type of mental illness. And mood disorders are among the most pervasive of all mental disorders. This includes major depression, in which the individual commonly reports feeling two weeks or more of sadness, being uninterested in things previously that interest them, hindered delay and body movement, some agitation or increased or decreased appetite since their depressive episode was started. Mental illness is real. We know that there is a stigma, however, attached to mental illness. And with that stigma that's attached to mental illness, oftentimes it keeps people, especially black and brown people, from seeking the help that they so desperately need. Mental illness, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Office of Minority Health. Poverty affects mental health status. African-Americans living below the poverty level as compared to those over twice that are not in poverty, they are often three or four times more likely to report psychological distress. This particularly is critical as the rate of poverty among African-American is nearly 2.5 times the natural rate according to the 2014 census. Now, African-Americans, they are 10% more likely to report having serious psychological distress than non-Hispanics whites. The death rate from suicide for African-Americans, men was more than twice greater than that for African-American women in 2014. Now listen to some more of the statistics as I share them with you. For example, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has also re reported 
that African-Americans have a death rate from suicide that is more than four times greater than most cultures. The intersection of mental health and the Black community happens when a mental health disorder that one experiences in a particular community is goes on and on and on and on without being reported sufficiently and or treated sufficiently. Tonight, our topic is the intersection of mental health and the Black community. Now, when I think about the intersection of mental health and the Black community, I think about one's experience as a member of the Black community. While the experience of being Black in America varies tremendously, there are shared cultural factors that play a role in helping define mental health and supporting well being and resiliency. Parts of the shared cultural experience, however, is based on family values, expression through spirituality and music, and also through religious networks. However, part of another shared experience is being subject to racism, discrimination, and inequality. These can significantly affect a person's mental health well-being. Now, being treated or perceived as less than because the color of your skin can be very stressful and even traumatizing. Additionally, members of the Black community face structural challenges assessing the care that they need when they are seeking treatment, not only for their mental health, but also for their physical health. According to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health, Black adults in the United States are more likely than whites to report a persistent symptom that they might be experiencing such as emotional distress, such as sadness, such as hopelessness, and feeling like everything is stacked against them. Blacks living below the poverty line are more than twice as likely to report serious psychological distress than those with more financial security. Despite the needs, only one in three Black adults with mental health receive treatment, according to the American Psychiatric Association's Mental Health Facts for the African American Guide. And they are, are as follows. They are less likely to receive guideline consistent care, less frequently included in research, more likely to use emergency rooms or primary care, rather than mental health specialists. Now, here are some barriers to mental health care. Social economic barriers. Social economic factors can make treatment options less available 
in 2020, 10.4% of Black adults in the U.S. had no form of health insurance. The Black community, like other communities of color, are more likely to experience socioeconomic disparities, such as the exclusion from health, educational, social, and economic resources. These disparities may contribute to the worst mental health outcomes ever. Barriers to mental health care. Stigma. Negative attitudes and beliefs toward people who live with mental health conditions is pervasive within the U.S., and can be particularly strong within the Black community. Although beliefs and attitudes vary, research has proven that African Americans are greatly stigmatized because they might seek out the services of a mental health provider. Nomni the National Alliance on Mental Illness has produced several video series that highlight the disparities among African-American people. I would like for you to listen to and watch this particular video on families that are struggling to deal with and come to terms with being diagnosed with a mental illness. Watch this video at this time. Thank you. I feel like it's, it's been like more. Yes, Hello. My name is Layla. My name is Connie. My name is Courtney. This is my beautiful mother, mother, and my beautiful daughter. And I am a mother. I am a woman learning how to heal. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad to be here. This is regeneration, right? Right. If I wait for my trauma to be completely gone, I'll never live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for, so you, for you, mom, mom. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how did you, how did you helping us talk us about talk our emotions? emotions? And I'm and really I'm asking, asking just because I may not, I may remember, not remember certain things. things but what was that what like, was that like when we were growing up? It wasn't forthright in the sense of I need to do this. So it wasn't, it wasn't just, just, hey, we, hey, we need to get up and around and sit and just talk. I probably saw you more as a challenge. Because it's for you to question something. You didn't necessarily quit. You just had questions about things about things necessary, but I saw that as, you know, she's not cooperating with whatever I'm doing. So therefore, I need to handle it this way. Part of, part of me, me now, now I, regret I regret it. it. I, regret I regret it. But then, but I'm, then I'm, I'm learning, learning like, like it, it is. It's not it's only not okay, okay, 
it's necessary. 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 And creates, creates these unhealthy, unhealthy dynamics, dynamics in families. To the point, to the that, point you that you have a bunch of adults living as, living children, as children on the inside, on the inside because, because we haven't, we been, haven't able been able to have those kinds of conversations. conversations. But you don't but realize, you don't realize until you're a parent how much, how much stuff this stuff you've gone through, going through. Yes. Yes. immediately, immediately comes, comes out. out. And, 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 then, and, and then you realize, wait a minute, I'm doing the exact same thing. Yes. <laughs> that, my that my mom did to me, me that, that I hated. That I hated. Right. And, and, there's, and a there's a level of humility that has to come in when we talk about mental health and emotions, emotions because, because we're not going to understand everybody and why they feel the way they do. They do. And that's the hardest thing I think that's been taken from the black community is our right to feel. It was really helpful when we talked earlier about mental health. I've really been thinking about it. You know, it's one thing to to talk about, talk it, about in, it intentionally, intentionally but then, then when life, life shows, shows up, up and then and it then hits it you about, about what you said, said you don't want it to be like a, like a just, just for the for purpose, the purpose of, of a teachable moment right, and not and to not put it into practice. practice. Raised so, so regimented, regiment, everything, everything was, and yet I didn't necessarily like that, but it's interesting how I didn't like it, but it became a part of who I, who was, I was, but yet, but yet who I didn't want to be, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I think in your case, right, you right,
this particular woman said she thought it felt like she was living as an adult inside her body. However, she was a child. And that in itself traps people and keeps them to the point where they're not able to express their emotions and get beyond what they're going through. Now, in the video itself, you can see that, that it, there's a family. There's a family there, mother, grandmother, and daughter. They're all there together. And it shows that this is generational. So if it isn't handled or dressed at the grandmother's stage, then it can pass down and to the daughter, then pass down to the granddaughter, and then pass down to the granddaughter's children if and when she might have children of her own. So we've got to be very cognizant and be able to address the mental illness that we find so prevalent in the Black community and among people of color. Stigma. Stigma, negative attitudes and beliefs toward people who live with mental health conditions is pervasive within the U.S. and can be and can be particularly strong, as I stated, amongst Black people. Although beliefs and attitudes vary, research shows that many Black adults, especially older adults, they view mental health conditions as a consequence of personal weakness, as I would imagine this mother did, the grandmother did on the video I showed you. And as a result, People may experience shame about having a mental illness and they might worry that they may be discriminated against and that uh, their condition that, they're, that they have might inhibit their ability to get work or find housing or even raise their children. Once again, the title of tonight's episode is The Intersection of Mental Health and the Black Community, Where Those Two Things Meet. For many in the Black community, it can be a topic of incredibly challenging things to talk about when talking about mental health. Why? Because many are concerned about how they may be perceived by others. This fear could prevent people from seeking mental health care when they really need it. Additionally, many people choose to seek support from their faith community rather than seeking a medical diagnosis. In many Black communities in the United States, the church or other faith institutions can play a central role as meeting the need for a source of strength and understanding of emotional deregulation. Faith and spirituality can help in the recovery process and be an important part of the treatment plan. For example, spiritual leaders and faith communities can provide support and reduce isolation. However, they should not be the only option that people whose daily functioning is impaired by mental health symptomatology. Stigma. Once again, 
is one of the main reasons that people, especially people of color, do not seek out mental health treatment. Another prevalent barrier is provider bias and inequality of care. Black people have historically been negatively affected by prejudice and discrimination in healthcare systems in the United States. Unfortunately, many Black people still have these negative experiences when they attempt to seek treatment. Provider bias, both conscious and unconscious, and a lack of culturally competency can result in misdiagnosis and inadequate treatment. This ultimately can lead to mistrust of mental health professionals, and it can create a barrier for many to engage in treatment. Black people may also be more likely to identify and describe physical symptoms related to mental health problems as my stomach is hurting, my back is hurting, my legs are aching, my leg is swelling, I have pain in my shoulder that I can't really describe and I don't know where it's coming from. These somatic complaints that Black people are describing are actually symptoms that relate to mental health problems. A person that isn't culturally competent in the healthcare realm may misinterpret these somatic complaints and due to them not being culturally competent, they miss these signs and the person goes undiagnosed with what is much, much, much needed, that diagnosis so that they can receive the proper care for the symptoms that they're struggling with. Additionally, Black individuals are more likely to receive a misdiagnosis of schizophrenia when expressing symptoms related to mood. How to seek culturally relevant mental health care. How does one seek culturally relevant mental health care? When a person is experiencing challenges with their mental health, it is essential for them to receive quality care as soon as the symptoms are recognized. It is equally important that the care they receive is provided by culturally competent healthcare professionals. While we recommend seeking help from a mental health professional, a primary care professional is also a great place to start. A primary care professional might be able to provide an initial mental health assessment and a referral to a mental health professional if needed. 
community and faith organizations may also have a list of available mental health providers in your area. When meeting with a provider, however, it can be helpful to ask questions to get a sense of the level of cultural competency that that particular provider has. Providers expect and welcome questions from their patients and clients, uh, since this helps them to better understand what is important to their treatment. Now, here are some sample questions that I have included in my book, The Color of Hope, African-American Mental Health in the Church. Have you treated other Black people or received training and cultural competence for Black mental health? If not, how do you plan to provide me with culturally sensitive patient-centered care? How do you see our Black cultural backgrounds influencing our communication and and or my treatment. Do you use a different approach in your treatment when working with patients from different cultural backgrounds? What is your current understanding of the differences in health outcomes for Black patients? Whether you seek help from a primary care professional or a mental health professional, you should finish your sessions with healthcare professionals feeling heard, that they heard you and that they respected you. Now you might wanna ask yourself, did my provider communicate effectively with me? Is my provider willing to integrate my cultural beliefs, practices, and my background into my treatment plan? Is my provider willing to include and integrate my spiritual belief system and my support system? Need it be spiritual or need it be my employer, my fictive kin, my neighbors into my treatment plan? Did I feel like I was treated with respect and dignity? Do I feel like my provider understands and relates with me? The relationship and communication between the person and their mental health provider is a key aspect of treatment. It's very important for a person who feels that their identity is understood by their provider in order to receive the best possible support and care. You've got to know how to pose those questions, however, when you are visiting a mental health provider, especially for the first time. As I stated, when reading off those questions to, to ask, there is a list of questions that I have included in my book, The Color of Hope, African-American Mental Health in the Church. In the appendix section in the back of the book, there are 
once again, more than the questions that I read, there is a list of other very pertinent questions that you can begin with when seeking out that care. So I would encourage you to purchase this book, African-American Mental Health in the Church, off of Amazon and go to the appendix section. And as you do, you will look under appendix section number one, and it says discussing your concerns with your doctor worksheet. At each visit, your doctor will likely ask about your concerns. It's a good idea to think about what you would like to talk about before the actual visit. Now, the form in this book will help you to organize your thoughts. I would encourage you to make a copy of this form and that you store that copy away so that you always have that. So when you fill out one of the forms, you'll always have a blank form in which you can take another copy off of and use at each of your appointments. Now, I would like for you to know that when you use this, this particular worksheet that's entitled, again, Discussing Your Concerns with Your Doctor, you take that worksheet and you take time and you write down, of course, the name of your doctor, your appointment time, the address, and any other pertinent information. And then you take this form and you write down my appointment details. And there's a one through eight list here. So you write down those most important things from the most important at the number one to the least important thing you like to talk about at number eight. And be sure to talk about each and everything that you wrote on your list. Don't think that your doctor is in a hurry and wants to hurry you along and all. You're there to talk and to share and to really be heard and get your needs met. Also, in my book, African-American Mental Health in the Church, in appendix section, the appendix number two, it talks about psychotropic medication and review. So when you go to your psychiatrist or you go in to your treating provider, there will be a review of the psychotropic medications that you have been prescribed. They will ask about your mood. They might ask in that meeting, what things do you do to work through your feelings in a safe way and to keep your mood steady? You might say, I follow my schedule, I listen to gospel music, I write in my journal, or I take a walk. You might also say, I pray, I tell my family how I feel, I write out stories in my journal, I ride my bike, and I stay positive so that I can keep my mood steady. Your provider might also ask you these particular questions. What time do you eat dinner each night? Do you have a nighttime schedule? 
Your doctor might ask, do you take naps during the day? Your doctor might ask, does your sleep schedule ever change during the month? Your doctor might also ask you, does your mood fluctuate throughout the month? And you might answer, sometimes I take naps during the day. I also relax in my recliner during the day. You might say, yes, my mood sometimes changes during the first week of the month or the last week of the month. It might also change the way that I'm sleeping when my mood fluctuates. These questions are listed here and the way that you might answer here in the Color of Hope African-American Mental Health in the Church. When you're at your psychotropic medication review, which typically occurs every three months, your doctor or your provider may ask questions about your appetite. They might ask if your appetite has changed or how are your eating habits. They might ask sometimes, is your eating habits poor as you've been prescribed these medications? Has it cost you to gain weight? Has the antidepressant medications that you're taking caused you to want to eat less at some times and more at other times? There is a list here in the appendix section also that tells you to prepare for questions such as your ability to focus and follow directions. So at your medication meeting, your doctor might ask questions about, are you able to focus and finish a task? They might also ask, have there been any big changes in your life? The doctor might ask, what things help you to feel better when things in your life change? They might ask, do you worry excessively? Do we expect the worst? Or are you constantly on edge? So once again, in this book, African-American Mental Health in the Church, that's available on Amazon, there are questions in the appendix section that will help you along as you're talking with your psychiatrist, with your therapist, with your mental health provider, or with your primary care provider, so that you can be prepared when you go and you meet with a professional. Also in the book, there are definitions, terms, and definitions that describe what is a diagnosis? What is an intellectual disability? What do we mean by manic depression? What do we mean by misdiagnosis? What is a clinical social worker? What is mental illness? What is schizophrenia? Those definitions are listed here in the back of the book. Also, I've included in this book the importance of including a spiritual assessment in the initial evaluation of clients. So when you go in to your provider for the very first time seeking help with your mental health challenge, you 
being a person that has a strong faith and rely a lot on your relationship with the Lord to bring you out of situations and to see you through life adversities, have realized that it's okay to seek help from a mental health professional and or to be prescribed psychotropic medications. However, it is also very important to note when talking with your provider that you would like to have your spiritual life, your spiritual well-being, your spiritual walk with the Lord, your spiritual identity included in the assessment as well. So that is called a spiritual assessment. The process by which healthcare providers can identify a patient's spiritual needs that are pertaining to their mental health care. Oftentimes, a spiritual assessment isn't included in as a part of the mental health initial assessment. Yet and still, we want to be sure to note that if we truly would like to have that included in our assessment. And then each and every time that you would visit your mental health provider or your doctor, your psychiatrist, you would make sure that they would go over your spiritual aspects of your life as well. That approach is primary primary because for many of us in the African-American community, we value our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and we put a great emphasis on our healing and on our ability to function in life itself based on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's significant. And so it's imperative that we include that in our assessments. More importantly, sometimes people feel as though their finances may prevent them from finding and seeking help. If you are in a situation where your finances may be a concern, then you should contact your local mental health clinic or your local government agency, such as DHHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, to see what services that you qualify for so that you can make sure that you can get the help that you need. In doing so, you can break the cycle of dysfunction that runs rampant in many African-American homes. Not that we're saying that the cycle of mental illness is something that is a dysfunction. However, there is situational mental illness that occurs because of a lack of finances. 
a lack of the ability to connect emotionally and bond because of past trauma that is yet alive in the person's life, triggers that keeps barriers up so that moms and children are not able to deeply relate emotionally to one another. So as we talk about the topic of mental health wellness today, knowing that July is National Black Mental Health Awareness Month, note that some people, as I've included in chapter two of my book, are hiding in plain sight. When I mean by hiding in plain sight, I mean that there are people amongst us that have a mental health disorder, yet and still, they are afraid to seek help from that particular mental health disorder. And they're hidden in plain sight. Many people may consider it strange to put on their job application that they have what I call an invisible disability. That means anxiety. That they might become anxious or overwhelmed when asked to do certain tasks. So they'll hide this. They hide it because they don't want the myths that people have surrounding mental illness to actually be something that they will have to be faced with. So someone could have depression and they might seem distant, yet and still when they're seeming distance, they may be misperceived by the environment that they're in as being standoffish, but yet and still they're hiding behind that depression. They're hiding behind it because once again, the stigma is so great. They don't want to be called words such as crazy or psycho or nuts. These are hurtful words to say, hurtful. And the stigma that's surrounding mental health in our culture is so deeply rooted until people are shamed. They're shamed to seek the treatment that they need. So it is on this account that African-Americans need to know that mental health is, is a condition. It's no different than a physical one. People of color, you must know that our brains are the major part of our body. And if our brains are sick, just like our hearts, our lungs, our livers, our legs, just like those parts of our body, if they are not working properly, we're not going to function properly. If our brains are not working properly, then our whole body won't function because the brain is what actually causes the body to be able to process information, to take in feelings, to know when something's hot, 
to know when something's cold, when know when something's dangerous. So we've got to know that hiding in plain sight, meaning coming to church well-dressed, smelling good, speaking the right language, going through the motions, yet and still hiding is only going to keep you locked up in an emotional turmoil, a state that you will live with and not find peace after you undress and take off the mask because you have not dealt with it. So don't get me wrong. You can dress up, of course. You can speak the lingo when you go to church and praise the Lord and yes, how are you doing? I'm fine and oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Don't get me wrong that I'm saying there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying, if you're hiding behind a mask, if you're saying these things and they're superficial, just topical, but inside you're like a whitewashed grave, meaning inside everything is toe up from the flow up. There's chaos going on internally. Then you're hiding in plain sight. And you've got to know that it's time to come out and get the help that you need. You've got to get the help that you need. Why? Because then you'll be more healthy for yourself, for your family, for your job, for society as a whole. One healthy person, two healthy people, three, four, all the way down to a hundred makes for a more prevalent and a stronger society as a whole. There's a quote that I have in my book by Kristen Walker, and it reads as follows. Over the years, I've learned that under my bed was the best place to keep anything that I didn't want found because there was so much crap, papers, magazines, dirty socks, grocery bags, that no one would ever suspect that anything of value was under there, sort of like hiding in plain sight. You see, when we stuff all that stuff under the bed, that means when we stuff all that stuff in, into our life and we hide it so no one will ever see it, it's like hiding in plain sight. But yet and still, when you're hiding in plain sight, that doesn't mean that those things are going away because they are laying dormant. That doesn't mean that one day that they won't rise up and you will actually experience the fallout from them. Once again, July is National Black Mental Health Awareness Month. Imagine a church 
focusing its ministry like this, interpreting business as usual, forging real relationships with people whose voices have not yet been heard in the mainstream of society. Imagine a church becoming a community where people are treated like people. Imagine that it's a place where ministry to marginalized people is the center of the life and the action of that church. Imagine a church that does that, that just doesn't welcome people who live with mental illness, but it empowers them to fulfill their call in Christ. Can you imagine a church like that? Can you imagine a church like that? When the leader of your church talks about mental illness from the pulpit, or the stage during the weekend worship services, then they're communicating to the body that mental illness is okay. That people struggle with mental illness. That we all have something that we're plagued with and that it's okay not to be okay. Imagine if on Sunday morning you came into your church and there was a message that was being taught about mental health wellness. Imagine if you were one that was suffering in silence and you heard that. Imagine what that might do for you. African-Americans, once again, are 10% more likely to report having serious psychological distress than non-whites. However, they are 5% less willing to report and to seek out the services of a mental health professional. They are suffering in silence. The intersection of mental health and the black community is our topic tonight. What happens at this intersection of mental health and one's experience as a member of the black community is what we have been sharing this evening. What happens is when these two things intersect with one another, we find, first of all, stigma rises up and it keeps black and brown people oftentimes from seeking the help that they need. When the intersection of mental health and the black community intersects, we find that despite all of the healthcare services that are in our communities, many of the services lack cultural relevancy. While the experience of being black in America varies 
tremendously. There is a shared cultural factor that plays a role in helping to define and support the real being and resiliency and the healing process of African-Americans. So when the intersection of mental health and the black community comes together, these parts of that shared experience, such as family connections, values, expressions through spirituality or music, reliance on community and religious networks are enriched and they can be sources of strength and support. However, another part of the shared experience being subject to racism, discrimination, and inequality can significantly affect a person's mental health being treated or perceived as less than because of the color of your skin can be stressful and even traumatizing. Additionally, members of the black community face cultural and structural challenges when assessing treatment. Members of the black community, according to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health are more likely than white adults to report persistent symptoms of emotional distress, such as sadness, hopelessness, and feeling like everything isn't going to be okay. Blacks living below the poverty line are more than twice as more likely to, to report serious psychological distress than those in more financial secure environments. Yet and still, despite this, Blacks with mental health symptoms are less likely to receive guided, consistent care, and they're less frequently included in research, and they're more likely to use the emergency rooms or, prim or primary care rather than going to a mental health specialist. Why? Because when once again, the topic we're discussing tonight, when the intersection of mental health and Black community comes together, we find that there are barriers to mental health care, social economic barriers. There are barriers in health care, barriers in education, barriers in economic resources, and these disparities contribute oftentimes to worse mental health outcomes. We've got to know that as a community, as a whole, we've got to come together and help one another rid the stigma of mental health treatment amongst all people, not just black people, not just white people, not just Asian people, but all people. It is imperative that when you're seeking mental health treatment, however, as Black people and people of color, that you seek out culturally competent care. When a person is experiencing a challenge with their mental health, it is essential that the symptoms are recognized and that they are perceived and that they are 
provided this cultural competent care by professionals that are well prepared and that they truly understand the process. So while I recommend seeking help from a mental health professional or primary care professional, I also recommend that the professional would be able to provide an initial mental health assessment that includes a spiritual assessment and that professional would also be one that is culturally relevant. When meeting with the provider, it can be helpful to ask questions of that provider. Ask them, don't be afraid, ask them if they have worked with other African-American clients and ask them if they've had training in cultural competency and ask them if you are able to see their uh, their background, if you see it online, read it on their website, read their curriculum vita, read about them, read different articles that they may have written. Use a different approach when you're going in to talk with them so that you can learn about their background in terms of cultural competency. This is very important. So when you're seeking out a mental health professional, you should finish out that session, like I said earlier, feeling as though you've been heard, feeling as though you've been respected by that provider when you walk away. And if you don't, then most often you've got to continue to seek out a different provider. Now here I've listed at the bottom of this description on the podcast, additional resources. We started off the podcast sharing a video. The video came from the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMNI, Sharing Hope Program. They have created a three-part video series that explores the journeys of mental health wellness in the Black community through dialogue, storytelling, and guided discussions on the following topics, youth and mental health wellness, how do you heal? Community leaders and mental health wellness, the art of healing. Black families and mental health wellness, smiling on our journey. That was the video that we started, Black families and mental health wellness, smiling on our journey. If you type that into YouTube, you can bring that video up and finish watching the later part of the video that we showed half at the beginning of this podcast. Here are a list of Black mental health resources. Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective is a group aimed at removing the barriers that Black people experience getting access or staying connected to emotional health care and healing through education, training, advocacy, and creative arts. Black Men Heal, limited and selective free mental health services opportunities for Black men. Black Health Alliance provides information and resources, and it also finds, it also has a resource on how to locate a Black therapist. Black Mental Health Wellness 
provides access to evidence-based information and resources about mental health and behavioral health topics from a Black perspective, as well as training opportunities for students and professionals. Black Women's Health Imperative, an organization advancing health, equality, and social justice for Black women through policy, advocacy, research, and leadership development. Also, there are several books that I would highly recommend that you would read. The list is included in the description of the podcast, and I will read a few of them to you at this time. Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower by Dr. Brittany Cooper. Me and My White Supremacy by Layla Sad. So Do You Want to Talk About Race by Ijima Olua. How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Abram Kindry. The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. The New Jim Crow Mass Incarceration, The Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. And my book, African-American Mental Health in the Church by Dr. Pamela Robinson. I would encourage you to read those books and also to seek out the resources that I read. I want you to know that these products are highly recommended by the Emerging Hope Ministries and by the Emerging Hope Podcast. However, we have not endorsed any of the products, nor are we responsible for the contents of the products or the services that you might receive from these resources. Black mental health resources, that is a good place to start when seeking out culturally relevant providers. Also, I have created a set of flashcards entitled Blooming with New Coping Skills. This is a set of fun-filled, culturally relevant flashcards that will help children deal with their really big emotions and help them improve their daily coping skills. As you can see, I specifically had my graphic designer put on the cards children from all different cultures. The cards themselves, as you can see, have words, anger, these cards can benefit everyone, kids ages three to 14 in particular, and help them to learn how to get along better with others, to more easily connect to their emotions, to be able to start and maintain friendships, to manage their challenging experiences, to be even a more resilient child. Sometimes children need more explicit instructions on how to figure out how to deal with those emotions that they're feeling. 
And so this resource that I've created will help them to do just that. As you can see, there's sadness. And on the back of this card, there are coping skills that tells the child how to deal with that emotion. Some of the coping skills are squeeze something, a stress ball, play with dough, name an animal for every letter in the alphabet, pray and read the Bible, talk to your Sunday school teacher, your youth group leader, your pastor or your teacher. Another really big emotion that children I'm sure are feeling from experiencing the mass shootings that have been displayed all over the internet and the television, anxiety, helping kids understand the children that were involved and that survived that mass shooting in Texas, I'm sure are very anxious. These cars will help them to process those really big emotions of anxiety. And on the back, once again, there are coping strategies on how to handle that emotion, sadness, feeling so sad about what has happened to my sister, what happened to my best friend, what happened, the loss, these cards that I created blooming with new coping skills, emotionally regulating flashcards will help with social emotional learning as well. There are cards in this particular deck that talks about frustration and what to do when one is feeling frustrated. There are cards that talks about anger fireworks and it describes what it means to be angry to the point where you're feeling as though it's fireworks exploding, like on the 4th of July. When you look on the back of this card, the child may not be able to tell you that they feel like they're going to explode, but they can look on the back of the card and the, this particular card on the back, that picture, they'll point to and say, I feel like that. You might say, describe how your body parts feel when you get mad. And they'll feel like, look, just like these two little children, I feel angry, like I'm going to explode. Also, what triggered your anger? What happened? This particular flashcard will help you begin a discussion with your kid, your Sunday school child, your actual biological child, your niece, your nephew, your youth group member, the client that you're counseling that just won't open up and share their feelings. Using these cards will help them to be able to point to, I feel happy, I feel mad, I feel angry, and I feel sad. This particular card what were your thoughts and feelings will open up a conversation that maybe wouldn't have been able to be open had it not been for something that was tangible and gave them the words. As you can see from this particular card, how did your body react 
we know that there are somatic complaints that I shared earlier, that my eyes might feel a certain way, my mouth might feel tight, my belly might hurt, my hands might feel like they're tingling. Well, when we're talking to a child about mental health wellness and they aren't able to actually describe in words or phrases, they can point to each part and you can ask them how they're feeling and that could start the conversation. Once again, these cards were developed by me, Dr. Pamela Robinson. I am a clinical social worker in Kalamazoo, Michigan, as well as a pastoral theologian. And I've developed these cards as a tool to help with children ages three to 14 with their mental health wellness. I've also written my third edition of Blooming with Hope Parenting Educational Manual that actually helps parents as well as therapists, as well as pastors, youth group leaders, married couples, single couples, anyone that's interested in the family system to deal with and learn how to handle situations in life that come up that may be adverse and that could result in situational mental illness or it could have an effect on someone that has a mental illness to the degree that they may not be able to actually understand how to handle that situation in an appropriate way. In 2021, yes, I wrote the third edition of this particular manual, Blooming with Hope, Parenting Educational Manual. It is available on Amazon and on various other social media platforms in addition to our Emerging Hope Ministry website. It was in 1994 that I unexpectedly found myself a single parent and was left to raise three children on my own after experiencing a biblically advised divorced situation. In the wake of that staggering circumstance, however, I saw that as an opportunity to reframe that situation of being a single parent into a positive resource for myself and for other single parents who would pass through that same treacherous situation. Yet and still, I thank and praise God that I was able to navigate successfully through that situation because of God's grace and mercy and I was able to comfort others with the comfort that the Lord had given me. So respectively, Emerging Hope was actually birthed out of that situation, and we were able to start programming for families, especially African-American families and families of color, so that they could learn how to be resilient when raising their children in an often unfair world for people of color. It truly takes a village to raise children and a village for all of us to function here in this thing called life. So as a loving nurturer 
and as a loving parent and as a culturally relevant therapist and as a pastoral theologian, I have a deep passion for the well-being of children, especially disenfranchised youth of color. I have a deep passion for people that are struggling with mental health. I have a deep passion for people that are disenfranchised without hope, mothers, single parenting households. I have a deep passion for you. Therefore, I have developed this parenting educational manual. I have developed the Blooming with new coping skills flashcards. I have developed and written the Emerging Hope African-American Mental Health in the Church book. I have written a cutting edge dissertation that was in partial fulfillment of my doctoral degree. I have started this podcast, the Emerging Hope Ministries Lotus Flower Podcast. I have started the Emerging Hope Ministries Lotus Flower Book Club, and we've started the Emerging Hope Ministries outreach program that has been running well over 20 plus years. And we have given back through our ministry on Sunday where we offer the Emerging Hope Empowerment Hour. And we have given through the community outreach program at the holiday times whereby we give out holiday baskets and gifts to needy families, regardless of your cultural background, just based on your income level. We have given and given and given, and we thank and praise the Lord that he has allowed us to pour back into the community. And so once again, our title for tonight's podcast episode was the intersection of mental health and the black community. July, once again, is National Black Mental Health Emeritus Month. And we wanted to make sure that before this month was over, that we came on this podcast and we share it with you, culturally relevant information that would be encouraging and uplifting. We want you to know that you are important and that you can rise above whatever situation you find yourself in because it is the flower that blooms in adversity that is the greatest of them all. That comes from Mulan, the motion picture, and it's the tagline of our ministry logo, the lotus flower. You can bloom and you can blossom, yet and still, you don't do it alone, however. We know there's a stigma centered around mental health treatment and seeking it out. But we are here to encourage you tonight that it is okay not to be okay. Don't just let the month of July, National Black Mental Health Awareness Month, be a month where you think it's okay to seek that treatment. But I'm encouraging you to know that it is okay to seek treatment 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I am an ordained elder in the church. 
And I'm telling you from that platform that the Lord is telling you that it is okay. That doesn't mean that you're non-spiritual, you, you're weak in your faith, you're not a, a firm believer. It is okay to get medication, psychotropic medication prescribed to you if needed. Yet and still, I'm here to also encourage you to make sure when seeking out the help of a mental health provider that that person is culturally relevant. And you do so by reading the questions in the book that will prepare you to ask or to read when you are on the website seeking those people out. There are also questions that I mentioned here in this podcast. And also at the bottom of the description of the podcast, there are Black mental health resources that list where to begin to seek out culturally relevant providers. There are also books that are listed and there are videos that are listed in the description at the bottom of this podcast. And so I want you to take advantage of that information and be encouraged to know that it's okay not to be okay. Once again, I am Reverend Dr. Pamela Robinson, the co-host of the Lotus Flower Podcast, along with my husband, the Reverend Curtis L. Robinson Sr. We would encourage you to like, comment, and to subscribe to the Lotus Flower Podcast. In doing so, each time that an episode airs, it will actually be dropped right in your inbox and you will never miss an episode. Once again, thank you for joining us. Be sure to share this episode with your social media networks, family, friends, loved ones, peers, with your work family, I'd call, with your church family, and with all that you know could benefit from the Lotus Flower Podcast. Once again, the Lotus Flower Podcast. It is the flower that blooms in adversity that is the greatest of them all. Thank you for joining us. Have a blessed evening.